everyone. Welcome back to In the Margins podcast. Um, I am Ramon Real. I am your host today. Uh, pronouns they, them, theirs. I am so excited. Um, we have Amanda Sager with us today, a uh, really good friend of mine who is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and if you don't know her, you should. So Amanda Sager has served as president for IATI Local 154 since September 2016, when she was unanimously? Yeah, unanimously. Wow. Wow. She was unanimously <laughs> elected into office. Um, and she also works with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival as a sound engineer. Uh, Amanda was born and raised in South Louisiana and graduated from Louisiana State University with a BA in theater performance in 2009. In August of 2010, Amanda moved to Chicago for an internship at the Goodman Theater and began her career as a freelance sound engineer and designer. Now, she's had the pleasure of working in a variety of spaces from large regional houses to converted storefronts. Companies included uh, Goodman Theater, Court Theater, Looking Glass Theater, American Theater Company, Light Opera Works, 59E9, Dallas Theater Center, and Berkeley Repertory Theater, just to name a few. Um, and in January 2014, Amanda made the move across the country to take a full-time sound engineer position at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Um, and they're so lucky to have you, Amanda. Uh, we're so lucky. And in September 2014, Amanda began her labor union activism work serving on IATSE OSF organ uh, organizing committee. Two years later, in June 2016, that work paid off and led to the chartering of IATSE Local 154. From September 2015 to September 2016, Amanda and eight other stagehands successfully negotiated a contract, created their constitution and bylaws, and were elected into office while maintaining the 11-show repertory theater schedule. Which, by the way, y'all, that schedule is fucking intense. Like, 11 shows within, what is it, 10 months? Yeah. Um, so we are in a constant go, 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 go. Um, now, also... Uh, in addition to serving as a president of the local IOTC, Amanda is also the chair of the Southern Oregon Center Labor Chapter on the, under the Oregon AFL-CIO. So, y'all, Amanda is the shit. Uh, <laughs> and, and, no, but um, Amanda, like, well, I call Amanda Sager, so I'm just going to revert back to Sager. But the thing is, Sager, you are such a powerhouse. You are such a force to be, you know, like it, you're just such a force of leadership. The way that you move through the world is so transparent, so strong, strong-willed, uh, very centered, very grounded. And I admire the work that you do because it's all about change for the better. It's all about taking care of the people that are under your union, but not just the people under your union, but the people in labor, the people in labor, not the people that are pregnant, but, the people, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the people in, in the workforce, right? Like you are such an activist for people that are in a workforce that are um, perhaps not unionized or are being treated unfairly. And y'all uh, listening, um, we're going to have an episode soon uh, that will be released um, speaking about the labor injustices and inequalities that are happening within uh, canneries and certain factories and industries, specifically here in the Central Valley of um, California, especially right now with this pandemic that is happening. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so uh, 
I've been talking for like 3,000 minutes now um, and hours. <laughs> so Sager, can I just read your bio, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, hello, sweet friend. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be on this amazing podcast. I am so proud of the work that y'all are doing. Um, and I look forward to just like actively subscribing and listening every single time <laughs> to every single episode, multiple times. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you you summed up my life pretty uh cohesively. Um, <laughs> I, I'm originally from uh, South Louisiana. Uh, I started in theater at a really early age. I actually remember the first show I was in. I was oh, was it? Oh, okay. Well, this is a little glimpse into my Southern roots. Um, yes. My parents uh, still attend a, a Southern Baptist church back in Baton Rouge. And so we were a part of like the yearly Easter pageant and the Christmas story um, productions that the church put on. And so my dad, who is a retired Louisiana state officer, um, played Pontius Pilate. So that's 100% typecast okay. in that. But he was Pontius <laughs> Pilate. My mom was like the adulteress and the, <laughs> of the village. And, and I was like servant girl number two. So I like I brought Pontius Pilate, aka my dad, the like bowl of water, which he symbolically washes his hands of Jesus's blood of, and then like the bowl of water turns into blood magically, you know, from the audience perspective. Which mm -hmm. that was the first. It was Kool Aid. We had Kool Aid in the bottom of a clear bowl, and I poured water through my dad's hands, and as the water hit the bowl, it turned to blood. Okay, but that's right, still like, cool, right? Like it was cool. I mean, like as an theatrical that magic. Was the, yeah, that was the coolest thing, and that kind of launched me into the world of of live performance, and I was hooked and into that world. And yes, it was Jesus focused, which is not the work I do now, but it was. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no shade. I, but you know, like, no, but I've it, seen your work, so that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it, it made it accessible in a way that I don't know if I ever would have been, ever had that experience. And growing up in the South, um, we had like drama club, but that wasn't a thing we were really plugged into as much. Um, so church allowed my, me and my family to have this a really fantastic bond that's actually carried over the past 20 years plus of my life. My parents are still involved in their community theater um, back home. In hmm. fact, my, yeah. they just did, you know, what did show they, they just did The Crucible, I think, oh, okay. you know, like, <laughs> you know, they also did the spelling bee and this, my mom is a fantastic um, stitcher. So she sews a lot of clothes for that. My dad also runs the fly rail, like, you know. Oh, so you this come is... from like an arts family, <laughs> like theater arts family. Theater arts family, but without the like progressive hippie attached to it. It's very like it. conservative Louisiana, but they're, I'm their child. So they're kind of cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey mom, sorry. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like the beginning of the, the theater bug, so to speak. And that ran all the way into high school um, where I decided I wanted to go to school for performing. Um, and so I graduated in high school in 2004. I auditioned for a couple of um, conservatory theaters 
I was ex uh, as performance major, I was accepted, but we financially didn't have the means to send me out of state. And so I stayed mm. um, in Louisiana and I went to LSU um, and I graduated in 2009, but because <laughs> I suck at science which is ironic because the majority of my job is science now. But anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> Isn't that how it I, works though? Exactly. You hate the thing that then becomes like the means to an end. But um, in that time when I was at LSU, I got involved in working in sound through, it's a Bachelor of Arts program, but we functioned like a BFA program. Mm -hmm. um, so I had all these practicums and the one that I thought would be the easiest was sound because I, <laughs> that's that's so not true none of them are easy let's be honest like yeah. working and working as a stagehand not an easy gig um but i fell in love with it i was on an old analog console um and really learned how the things work and the manipulation of the faders and we're doing hair hair was my first musical i ever mixed so i had Oof. a full band yeah. a full cast <laughs> Um, and it's my first time out the gate. And this is in like oh our big, yeah, this is our big work theater that we had a work theater on campus. So like, hi, 400 people. I'm going to mix this show in a converted pig barn called hair. And we're going to, we're going to figure it out. And, um, wait, wait, I, wait. I need, I need a, I need a circle back. Yeah. Did you say a converted pig farm? Converted pig barn. So, barn. I'm sorry. Converted. Yeah pig barn yeah um, yeah 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 this like legitimate theater. or is that like some yeah. sort of like saying like on detroit no. or like oh okay no no, no, no. <laughs> so on uh, so lsu louisiana state university is known for its agricultural school and business school mm -hmm. so the ag center had like all of the stuff that you would ever need for like 4-h or any of that stuff so the what is now the theater it's called the swine palace Oh used to be yeah <laughs> used to be the um the, essentially the livestock showroom the barn and so the floor of the theater used to actually be dirt there are now seats in it but it's kind of in an alley configuration and then it had these huge giant concrete steps that actually to this day still have like the um large hooks and the ground for you to like you know, strap your livestock to. Mm -hmm. um, so that was our theater and it was in an alley configuration, but then we would bring in risers to either make it in the round or in the thrust. And mm -hmm. so um, the shop, which was uh, completely upstage, used to be where they would bring the animals in and out and then they would like showcase them through. So anyway, it's an Got old it. converted bar or uh, pig barn, pig barn called the Swine Palace, um, and it's still <laughs> there today. Palace. It's still doing its business. I think it's a work contract. I, I might be wrong in that. Um, I do know that Equity Actors were working with us along with our grad students, and then I was an undergrad at the time, and I was mixing the show. So that mm -hmm. was my first show, and I completely caught the bug uh, of like wanting to know more about the technical end and how sound functions inside of a live performance and mm. not just like the nerdy like these wires plug into here but how we as sound designers and composers take you on this journey throughout this show whether that's a musical or a drama or anything in between mm -hmm. what's happening 
and your ears is definitely influencing how you're feeling and the sh- and how the actors are feeling oh, absolutely. and what the lights are doing. Like we're, we're complimenting that work as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting psychological piece. To oh, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. It, it's very many psych- people. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say it's, it's very uh, psychologically driven, like even color that are, that is chosen for the stage. Uh, but the sound, especially like in theater and film, like, they're very much used to manipulate emotions. Mm-hmm. Like this is actually like a scientific psychological thing. It's actually really amazing. And there's Isn't a it? lot of, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you, and it's a, the best way to explain it to like civilians, right. Who are not in our industry is if you're list, if you're watching a horror movie mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. suddenly you hear like a, like just a low kind of drone sound, you immediately are like, your suspense, you're suspensed. You're like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Clearly someone's about to come out of that door. Yeah. What's happening? And but you don't necessarily clock it because it's so minimal and that's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. Like as mm-hmm. as a sound designer, as a sound engineer, early on, I was taught if no one knows that you're here, then you've done your job right. Like <laughs> you know, like yeah. you don't want to be noticed because if you're noticed, you probably did something wrong, and that's pulling the focus and and not serving the story. Yeah. So, and that's kind of so true I, for a lot of different um, designers and different like technicians. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like if you're upstaging the work that's being done, you're probably not doing it the best, unless that's the intention. <laughs> like in Chekhov, if we talk about there's a gun in Act One, then you have to use it in Act Two. Like, you know, if there's a huge giant inflatable pig upstage, (laughs) then at some point you have to acknowledge it, right? (laughs) (laughs) So do we, um, do we actually have to? We don't, we don't really have to. The rules are meant to be broken, right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, absolutely. Get the structure so you can then break it. (laughs) So, um, so that was college and, um, and along that path of, of figuring out that I kind of wanted to know more about this sound thing. I started working for 91.1 KLSU Baton Rouge. Um, I was a radio DJ for four years. Shut up. I will not. I will not. I was a station manager, a chief announcer, a program director, and a music director, and a morning time and afternoon drive time DJ. Okay. Yeah. See, I did not know (laughs) any of this. And now you just became like a thousand times cooler. I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah, I uh, I can put on the radio voice if I feel like it, but you're getting the the real side of it. But um, good, good. so yeah, so I did that in uh, for four years, and that really melded the two together because working in r- college radio, if you haven't listened to it for a while, it's kind of weird, but also really amazing and something you should definitely support if you're not already. Um, but I had access to all of this really fun hip music, and this is in the early to mid 2000s. So music was doing things that's now we make fun of, right? But at the time <laughs> it was really fun and exciting. And so I had access on, this is still on CD, by the way, everything is still on CD at this point. So I had access to all of those CDs and I would just design my shows. Like I was doing student design shows. I would design shows with all these really fun kind of experimental indie alt rock music to it and that merged the the radio world and the design world together and then when I started doing more engineering stuff especially with software programs 
and um, live recordings and stuff that brought in that engineering side into the radio side. So mm -hmm. uh, one one could not have happened without the other at all. Yeah. Um, and then in 2000, so that takes you all the way to 2009. And then in 2010, I moved to Chicago. I um, My professor uh, at LSU, EJ Chow, who's amazing, convinced me to apply for the Goodman Theater's uh, engine, audio engineer internship. Mm -hmm. um, and bless their heart, Dave Naughton, my former boss, hired me. I think probably because I had a much thicker accent at the time and thought, like, bless her heart, she's an idiot and doesn't know what <laughs> phantom power is. Oh. Yeah. He was wait. like, hey, wait, literally, my one of my interview questions that I completely bombed, he said, you know, what device do you have? I said, I have a laptop. And he said, what kind? And he said, a Dell. I said, oh, do you know what OS you're using? And I looked at him like he had five heads. I had no idea what an operating system was. I had no idea what he was talking about. He asked me about phantom power and for any of the audio nerds out there, phantom power is plus 48 volts, right? I didn't know what I knew, like the technical version of what, like the technical definition of what phantom power was, but I could not show you on a console what button to press and why and how it mattered. So literally, I think Dave Naughton hired me because he was like, we have to teach her how to do sound. Um, and she's kind of fun. So I was hired on there. And then that began my freelance career, um, and not only in Chicago, but nationwide. And you listed some of those lovely theaters I worked for. And I was associate designer and an actual designer, not the associate I was an associate designer and a designer and an engineer all at the same time. And one, one day in July of 2013, I got a phone call from one of my favorite sound designers, uh, Victoria Toy Diorio, and she got a gig at Oregon Shakespeare Festival designing a show and was interested in hiring me for as an associate. And she's also a dear friend of mine, a fantastic designer. And also she wrote a book about theatrical sound design as well, which everyone should check out. It's really, it talks about the psychology of sound as well. So it's really What is the, the name of the book? It's called theatrical sound design. Theatrical sound I can get design. I can get you the real name of it, but um, so cool. uh, we went out and, and we did. We'll, this we'll have a we'll, for our listeners. We'll have a link available um, when you go to uh, Amanda Sager's bio on our website. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, and so I went out there to I went out to Ashland, Oregon, first time ever in Oregon, and that was. Uh, the first time I ever knew about a repertory theater, especially one that does 11. And um, just I, for, we have spoken about um, repertory theater in one of the episodes mm -hmm. before, but can you just quickly uh, give us a little yeah. like, summary of what it is? Yes, I, I can speak to it more on the stagehand side. Um, yes, please. I, I'm, not I'm not sure how like artistic or production or other folks would probably describe it, but. Um, I, my example I use is in a weekend on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a patron could see six shows in one weekend. Mm -hmm. So matinee evening, matinee evening, matinee evening, you can see six shows and six very different shows and three different spaces. So how it works for us is that at 9am on Friday morning, stagehands, we all, you know, show up as assigned. Mm -hmm. And we're taking out Thursday evening's show. 
So let's say Thursday evening was Midsummer Night's Dream. That show closes. Great. Or that show uh, ends, ends. And then we the, go to the, yeah. yeah for the and then we all go the to the night. bar. We go have some cocktails. At Friday Martino's. morning. <laughs> Friday morning, we show up at 9 a.m. and we take out Midsummer, right? And we're from nine to 11, we're taking out Midsummer's Night's Dream and we're putting in Copper Children. At mm. noon- Which is my show. Which is your show. <laughs> at noon, well, you know, another set of crew is called. Usually, typically the show crew are going on break and, you know, we're doing whatever. So then at one o'clock, we're at half hour. One thirty, we start the show. That runs until, let's say- the Half hour this- being uh, 30 minutes before the show starts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That one, and so then- as the show comes down at four, uh, the show comes down at four, the crew descends onto the set and we take all of Copper children out and mm-hmm. we put in um, Peter and the Star Catcher for the evening show. That show happens. That show ends that night. It goes to bed Saturday morning. We come back in nine o'clock in the morning, take out Friday night show, which is Peter and the Star Catcher, take that show out and put in bringing down the house or, you know, I'm, I'm giving examples, right? And then we put yeah. in the next matinee. We do the matinee. We take that out and put the evening show in. We all go home Saturday night, Sunday morning. We take out Saturday's evening show, put that matin the Sunday mm-hmm. matinee and do the Sunday matinee. Then we take that Sunday matinee out and then put the Sunday evening show in, mm-hmm. do the evening show, go to bed, have Monday off, Tuesday morning, come in, rinse, wash, repeat. And that happens in three different spaces in about nine months yeah uh over the course of nine months so that's the thing to note is that it's not every wednesday matinee it's going to be peter and the star catcher not every thursday night it's going to be copper children that schedule changes constantly in order to allow the maximum variety of shows Mm -hmm. and when you insert in the outdoors theater which is the third venue for us we're only doing those shows in the evening but that means that those shows have to be changed out in the afternoon after we've already changed out the other two venues from Mm -hmm. their previous shows so and then also when when the elizabethans open then that means that there's three shows in the evening happening Correct. Pretty much since they open until they close. So they open usually in the summer and we close all the way until late October. And this year we were supposed to end early November. Um, mm-hmm. But so then here's another thing, though. It, it's that um, I admire the shit out of out of the work that y'all do. Um, <laughs> because, I, I mean, I have been in the, in the changeovers. Like I've seen them. Uh, I haven't been in them as like changing myself. Right. But no, I've seen them. Um, and the y'all, let me just tell you the amount of work that they do is insane because when she's talking about changeovers and changing, um, the set, imagine a gigantic thing that creates a world, an entire world for the show. And within that, that several amount of, uh, that little amount of time that Sager just talked about is them taking it apart and then putting together a whole different new world to the point where an audience member goes in the in the same theater in the afternoon will see a completely different world in the evening, even though it's the same theater, but different yeah, shows, no, different worlds. None of our sets are shared, um, except for the outdoor space. Every uh, some seasons, we'll share what's called a unit set, but and the only the, top- the only. Sorry, the only set that we did share was um, during La Comedia last season, mm-hmm. La Comedia of Errors. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the 
at least that I saw that there was a day that there was eight shows. Mm-hmm. And, and Look Media was also um, on the road. So yes, we were also on a community tour. Yeah, there wasn't, um, there we weren't flying anything in. Yeah, 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 we weren't flying anything in. We weren't actually, we, they might have changed some lights. There was no sound to load in. Um, so it was a really, it was a different beast to already yeah. uh, a mammoth of our schedule. But yeah, exactly what you said yeah. is that we're, well, and- nothing's really shared and everything. I mean, the lights even have to get um, new gels and shutter cuts on them. Mm-hmm. Hair, wigs, costumes, mm-hmm. all of that gets changed out. Sound, all of that's changed out. You know, we we can add in seating banks, which means that we're going to fly in a, a complete row of speakers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a giant machine. It's a giant um, and, machine. And Sager, I want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier with your parents and... Um, that you played a, a servant role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is this how you? So is this how you started with activism and labor? <laughs> you Can know, you tell us a bit about that and how you got started? Probably. And <laughs> yes, yeah. How yes, did you get started? Yes. And and like uh, what what um, influenced you to take action and to do the work? Because if I have met somebody that does the work. I don't even know if that's a saying, but that's you, right? It's like you do the work. You're not just like talk the talk. You walk the walk. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 an interesting timeline um, for anyone who is listening. If you've worked in Chicago or New York, um, Houston, probably L.A. as well, uh, any parts of Florida, um, you've probably been a part of a union contract, whether you were a union member or what sometimes is called extras when you're working under a union contract. So that was my experience in Chicago is I wasn't a part of IATSE Local 2 in Chicago, but I worked at theaters that had IATSE contracts mm. and um, basically did overhire work, but that overhire work was protected by the union. Mm-hmm. So I paid, I paid um, union dues on the work that I did mm-hmm. there, um, but I wasn't a union member. Mm-hmm. So that was my experience of not really fully knowing what. That's interesting. What I was so you, you're into. you're paying union dues without being part of the union, right? Because that job classification is under the union contract Got jurisdiction it. with the company. Got so it. even though I wasn't a, like a card carrying journeyman uh, at the Goodman, if I I still have rights and access and protection mm. under mm-hmm. a union if something happened, whether that is. I fell off of a catwalk. I got brought into a discipline meeting um, that in, even influenced my pay. Um, my pay rate was higher. Uh, all, all of the things that come with the union contract because those over hire positions were negotiated by the union and the company to be protected. Got it. And question. So if, if there's a, a listener out there that doesn't know what a union is or does, can you give us a little... Well, yeah. What, yeah, what yeah. is what does the union do, or or like what is it? What does it encompass? And um, how yeah, do you? Yeah, so I think that that's uh, hand in hand with how I got started. So yeah. Okay. I moved to um, Ashland in 2014, January of 2014, and in August of 14, one of my now dear friends and colleagues um, made a phone call to the uh, the international union's office and said, "Hey, we want to we might be interested in joining." IOTC, we want to know what's going on. And that and that's how this process usually starts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that someone reaches out and says, We won't 
we want to know how, how to do this union thing, what this union thing is about. Can you help us? And so when those meetings started happening, I wasn't really sure. I'd only been working at OSF for eight months at that mm. time. And oh, wow. I was, yeah, I wasn't sure like really the politics of it. I wasn't sure of the past transgressions, so to speak, and what these people had been through because I showed up from Chicago. Yes, I took a major pay cut from Chicago, but it was a good move for me professionally. It was an advanced position. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I was happy to have the work because that's how we're kind of raised in this theater environment is mm-hmm. don't bite the hand that feeds you. Be happy that you have a job in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't really sure how this all worked. And as we went through the process and started having the conversations with an IATSE rep, I learned that IATSE is autonomous in nature, like each local union that, and I'll get to that in a second, but each local has its own contract with each theater and inside of that contract can be very different rules from one theater to in one city from another. For example, mm-hmm. my time in Chicago, we, you know, as a sound engineer, I might not be able to plug something in or touch lighting or, um, you know, do anything with costumes or help move props or anything mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but under my contract with 154 and OSF, we're allowed to cross departmental. That doesn't mean that someone from lighting is going to just jump on and mix a show under the sound department, mm-hmm. nor does that mean that someone from the hair and wig department is suddenly going to start dressing people during a show. We do have restrictions around that, but it means that we can still work as a team mm-hmm. and touch each other's like stuff if we need to. Right. Um, so that, so that's a little bit of how that differs. Or you're not just, I can only do sound. I can only do props. I can only do costumes. Um, that's not how our contract works. So that's how it's different from contract to contract and mm-hmm. theater to theater. And that caught my attention because the nature of the, sh- of the, of the rep at OSF, we have to be able to collaborate in that way. We mm-hmm. have to be able to quickly take care of things and all of this. So, um, but also I learned a lot of what unions do is protect you as an employee from having to do the dirty work, so to speak. So like if I'm not in a union and let's say someone sexually harasses me, whether Mm -hmm. that is a name or a touch or a derogatory comment, any of that stuff, like someone, someone does something to me that I don't like Mm -hmm. without a union I either can handle that conflict by myself or see whatever repercussion. I can try to go to HR. Hopefully HR will take care of something. I can maybe tell my department manager, maybe they can do something, go to product. Like you can go to these places and to these people and hope that they do something. That's if you feel confident and safe and protected. Exactly. Mm -hmm. To, to act on, Mm-hmm. whatever bad behavior you've received mm-hmm. with a union rep, let's say you're my rep, right? So if something happens to me, I don't like it, whatever the severity is, I can come to you and say, Hey, this just happened with this person at this day, at this time, I got a big problem with it. And then you as the union rep says, absolutely not a problem. 
we talk one-on-one. I go do and might go do due diligence and talk to other people, find witnesses. And then I have all the information as a union rep and I can speak on your behalf to HR or to your manager or to whomever. And then by the power of the contract, that's a legally binding document. If the company doesn't take an appropriate action, there's a legal process that we can then say, Hey, you violated this agreement, this thing, we Uh have a bigger problem. Um, So it's not always running in and saying like, fuck you and the horse you rode in on management, you did everything wrong. It is a lot of conversation of, hey, this came across my table. This isn't good. We don't, we're not into this. This seems shady. What's going on? And we can have a conversation. If that conversation stalls or the action doesn't follow, then we have something to go back to and say, hey, on this piece of paper that we signed three and a half years ago says that you're going to make sure I get my half hour break. And if I don't Mm. get my half hour break, then I'm going to be paid this amount. So it takes the burden off of the employee to be in uncomfortable positions. Mm Because like I said in the beginning, this industry, it has a culture of just be glad you have a job. Don't Mm -hmm. bite the hand that feeds you, especially as young professionals. So to push Mm -hmm. against that machine and that power and that class dynamic can be really challenging without a union rep and Mm -hmm. federally protected under the National Labor Relations Act of 1935 as a union rep. I have um, a higher kind of power. I'm I'm of equal status as a manager as you know, director of production, when I am in my union president hat mode. Oh, wow. um, okay. So, so I can't receive any repercussions speaking on your behalf. The person who came forward with the complaint also can't receive any repercussion by having the complaint. And mm. the person that we are complaining against actually also has a fair shot at representation and, and that meeting too. So it's not like a, a war. You can't yeah. like pit against your least favorite person you're working with. Every, <laughs> hey, every let me just tell you, union <laughs> rep, like this person over here? Mm. There's there's a whole process for it. It's called duty of fair representation, and that's a whole other TED talk. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we'll do yeah, a part two. We'll do a part two. But it yeah. also, you know, and, and that's maybe more of an extreme example, but it's something that I have already dealt with in the four years I've been a union rep, I have dealt with. Um, race discrimination, sexual discrimination, all of that, uh, probably once a year. Mm. Um, and we work for a really good company, but that doesn't well, mean- One of the most progressive. That, exactly. That doesn't mean everyone in that company is awesome. You know, yeah. you can get some real turds across the board. Yeah, um, they're, they're everywhere. Yeah, but then, so like I said, that's, that's maybe more of an extreme example, but union contracts also fight for pay equity um, so that you're not- you're not being discriminated against because you're black, brown, queer, uh, not Christian, you know, and your pay isn't dictated by the person that's hiring you. Your pay is a set standard rate that you know you're always going to get and isn't something that can be taken away from you. The same mm-hmm. thing with any insurance benefits or retirement benefits. I mean, hell, we even wrote an entire contract that every two years we get a $200 steel toe boot reimbursement. Ooh, so nice. like, that's a benefit. And that's that needed. All, yeah. And that's a benefit we already had before the union. 
but we wanted to put that into the contract saying into writing and to writing that's like, so when times get tough and budgets get tightened, you're not pulling, pulling that money from a very critical part of the, the stagehands tools is my mm-hmm. steel toe boots. Like, are you, we're not going to shift sets with flip-flops. Like that's just dumb, you know? Are you, so, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to try that? So it's not always about like going after blood for the manager. It's not always saying, Hey, this is wrong. You did wrong. We want to get out of a jail free card uh, more times than not. It's about protecting the good things that you already have. Um, and so that that doesn't get tossed out in a budget crisis or in a change of management, or if your boss today gets fired tomorrow and maybe you don't have that job security because the new boss wants to clean house and bring mm-hmm. in his buds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it can be a tricky world. Definitely. It can feel like it's a, a good old boys club. 100%. That was a hesitation I had about joining a union was I was my joining this, like you have to be someone's like great, great granddaughter to get into this thing. And you got to know somebody and you know, no, you don't. Um, and the culture of unions is is shifting very quickly mm-hmm. and i'm very proud to be a part Wait, of so that. so question um yeah. at least from from places that i have uh here in the central valley like not theater but more like uh industrial work agriculture um farming uh canneries right um mm-hmm. a, a lot of factory work here um and so a lot of the managers discourage unions and then mm-hmm. y- you know like as we know because Right. Um, and then they, they, some of them uh, threaten that if you try to unionize, then you'll lose your job. Um, yeah, that's so, illegal. <laughs> I think you're right. But, so, yeah. <laughs> but so, so then it's like, okay, so, you know, if, if I'm someone who's in a very uh, tough environment to work in and they're doing a lot of uh, what are probably most likely illegal practices mm-hmm. um, and that are not fair or due practices or like at all protecting the workers or anything like that. Um, how would I go about trying to unionize my company? It's like, a really to- great question. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I course. would love to, I would love to tell you. <laughs> please, um, please do. So all states have an AFL CIO and the AFL CIO is the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. Um, that's a whole big mouthful to say that mm-hmm. um, you, hmm, how do I say this? Most international and national unions are a part of the AFL-CIO, which means that part of my dues to IATSE will also is included. It goes to the AFL-CIO, which you're part of the federation. Um, The AFL-CIO's mission is to help organize people and and also to be the political arm as well of, Mm -hmm. of union movement. So... In California, the California AFL-CIO website will most likely have, if I'm, I would bet my life on it actually, it would have a, a like contact us, what are we, who are we? Mm-hmm. And if you click in that, they'll drop down and show you a list of all of the national and international unions that are a part of the state federation. Oh, wow. Um, Wonderful. And, yeah. and we'll, we'll include this link also on our website mm-hmm. so then people can access it. Because I think it's very important for people to be able to protect themselves, right? Um, Absolutely. 
And, 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 you know, to be fair, even if the union that you would be interested in having your representation through, even if they're not a part of the AFL CIO, one of those staff reps can put you in touch with some uh, the, the, the local union over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do that often here. I'll get, you know, a call or an email or something that's like, Hey, we're interested in this. You're the only person I know that's a, a union member, but they're not in the entertainment industry. They're working mm-hmm. in hotel hospitality. Mm-hmm. So I'll go to my AFL rep and I'm like, Hey, who do we know that's at Unite here or SEIU or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And though that those unions aren't necessarily a part of the federation, we still have ways of putting people in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also just Google, you know, farm farmers of America. I've, I know that there is a farmers union and I know that um, it is a very big deal. And it's something that I feel as a, as a workers right advocate that we did wrong by our union, Ken, in the seventies with the farm workers movement, but um, as also another Ted talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Episode three. So, Episode three, uh, labor, <laughs> labor unions have a, a deep and weird and crazy history. And, um, we can get an absolute bad reputation. I was going to ask like, why, why does it have a bad reputation? Because this guy named Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Hoffa. What did you do? Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa. Google him, my friend. That's an actually a very interesting story about, um, mobs government corruption, teamsters, cleaning out the mob, getting out of jail, and then a mysterious death. Like it's it's very a mysterious death. A it mysterious like, death. It's like you're describing like uh like a hit movie or something. And a mysterious yeah, death. They made a movie about Hoffa because oh, this is fuck. how fucking crazy his shit was. Hoffa oh. was a really big deal and uh and 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 moved the Teamsters, which is another international or national union, um, and, and did a lot of things. But it also, there's, I need a whole other episode to talk about this. Okay. But um, it had to do a lot with like, if you don't join our union, we'll beat you up. Join oh. our union oh. and we'll protect you. Like that kind of like <laughs> mobster vibe or like paying paying the mob to like have your back because the mob was controlling the politics at the time this was definitely not mm. any time recent like he died he mysteriously disappeared like in 71 or 72 mm-hmm. so he'd been doing this shit for like 40 fucking years mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. all started like 30s 20s when industrial revolution was happening in the states and like kids were working and like with no fingers and people didn't have holidays like the eight hour work day happened because of unions so this is all spanning this time Mm -hmm. of like of that so bad reputation of just like being kind of bullies and then also this nepotistic kind of an idea of like well i can't get into the union unless i know someone or i'm born into it because we just want to like keep it with us mm-hmm. um a good old boys club you know filled with like and that is not true today oh i mean i'm sure there's still that air well, yeah. about yeah, with yeah, some yeah. of them but i know the work that i'm doing in the iatsi local 154 and the work that i'm doing with the oregon afl cio and the people i work with and mm-hmm. the the culture 
and the environment that we have and that we're changing in bigger ways. Like we're, we're moving this ancient ass ship in a very left leaning direction Mm -hmm. because your worker protection shouldn't be based on anything other than the fact that you have a job Mm-hmm. And that's it, in my opinion. If you have a job and you want to be protected, then we got we we can make that happen. It shouldn't be based on your income or your family or how you look or what your pronouns are or your you know any of that status. But the fact that like you filled out a W two or ten ninety nine, you got a job and this thing that says your employer. Here you go. You have rights and protections around it because people are most. Well, most major companies are looking at the bottom line and don't care about the people. Unions oh, absolutely. protect the people from mm-hmm. the bottom line. One of the biggest things that's happening here is that they are cleaning house, especially uh, people who are older, mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they can't really work as fast in the, on the lines as they used to. And then the biggest one that pisses me off is that um, people who speak English only. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people who, are, who only speak Spanish are incredibly discriminated right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like several people have been demoted or, uh, let go, um, for like random reasons and or told straight up speaks, speak English, like no Spanish, speak English. Um, wow. and so like, and that's why I, I think a lot of people here would benefit from having this information, uh, just because of all the injustices that are happening within those, mm-hmm. those, uh, industry, right? Like within those factories and working in some very, very dangerous machinery, to put food on our table. Mm-hmm. Like the Central Valley cre- uh, create, well, the Central Valley provides a ridiculous amount of percentage of food for the nation. Like for the, um, for the world, from what mm-hmm. I know, every mm-hmm. time I go into California, do you have any fruits or vegetables? Because what you bring into this state could kill us. Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's bigger than a nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, uh, it's just crazy to think about that. Um, also, this will be discussed in a different episode um, and it'll be in Spanish. But um, we'll have a transcript available in English on our website. But, you know, one of the biggest things is that this is some very, very dangerous and heavy machinery that has killed people, that Mm -hmm. has historically and recently killed people. Um, My uncle was, uh, trigger alert, y'all, my uncle was ground up, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, by a machine and no one stopped it. And it, it just, I mean... He was ground beef or meat, ground meat, Um, you know, and and it's like, um, it's, it's a really shitty thing to see your family members or or people that, you know, right here uh, to go into work and be afraid of their employers, um, the people are in charge, the machinery itself or like feeling that they're not safe. Um, Like, yo, Sager, I had to make a diagram about ladder safety for my mom to take in as a supervisor when she barely, uh, when she first got promoted, um, just so she can have a safety meeting because the safety people were not doing their job. What? And, and on top of that, they took away her diagram. They took it away and she had made it like copies for all her workers and they took them all back. Yeah. Yeah. What? I know. I know. And so like, these are just little things, right? Like it's just incredibly fucking insane. And it it is, it is um, rage inducing. It's just Mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely fucking infuriating. Uh, But circling back, um, 
you know, I digress. Uh, so, mm. you, you know, um, you have explained I, a bit. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, absolutely, AFL-CIO can be a resource. I Remind me to send you this link. There's mm-hmm. a fantastic documentary of um, undocumented and documented restaurant workers in New York organizing their own union mm. um, that just came out. And there's so much information in that. That's definitely mm-hmm. like, that's like a seed planter for me where suddenly mm. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's fucking have a revolution. Let's go. Let's do this mm-hmm, on our own mm-hmm. terms. Even Burgerville out here in, in Portland, Oregon, um, they made their own union for the fast food workers at Burgerville. So there, where there is a will, there will be a way and there will always be someone like me that will put you into touch with the people who can help provide resources. If not, I will directly help you make that happen. So no one should have a ladder diagram taken away from them or have that unjustness that happened to your uncle. Like safety is no no joke. And it's one of the big pillars of any union, whether you're a steel worker, timber, food, hotel, entertainment, teacher, nurse, any of that, especially in COVID-19 world. Um, unions are 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 fighting to protect all working people, whether they are in a union or not, by helping mm-hmm. create guidelines because mm-hmm enough has been enough for a while and this current presidential administration could give two shits mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what anyone who makes under two million dollars um, has to say that's yeah. also another ted talk that go is. on <laughs> episode four episode I four <laughs> I interrupted you. no no it, it's just no i i very much agree with you very very much um it's uh i keep i keep mentioning factories only because like i i know i, I know a little I know more about the factories and what's happening inside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, mm. anyway, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, and so what would you recommend or advise someone who uh, is attempting to start a union or attempting to unionize uh, mm-hmm. the workers mm-hmm. there? Like, how can they go about it? Um, how can they go about it safely so they're not getting reprimanded by their employers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what would be some of your words of advice? Um, I would, first of all, know that you're not the only person that's having this feeling of unjust, mm-hmm. this feeling of wanting to like fight back and push against the machine. You're not the only one. Often as leaders or uh, shit starters, as I like to call us, (laughs) we often like feel that perhaps we're just making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, like I just, it was a bad day. Maybe this isn't a big deal. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Whatever. I water off a duck's back. I can totally take it. No big deal. Um, When you reach that point, and I always encourage new union folks or any worker like make that boundary and keep that boundary because I personally push that boundary out so much as a young professional Mm. um I I allowed a lot of behavior that at 33 I would no longer allow (laughs) but I was so scared um but set that boundary and you know who your people are and and your workspace you are 
trustworthy and your confidants and your friends. And I always start there. Always mm-hmm. start there at the conversations of what that is, that it's a safe space because it's going to be an emotional process. Mm-hmm. Most likely because what you've already been through has been 10 times worse than anything any one of us could ever imagine, especially in the Central Valley at this time. Um, so find the people that you trust and have those conversations. There will be a point where you do have to bring it to a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I always encourage, um, reaching out to the resources through the AFL CIO or through any other grassroots progressive workers right movement, even if it's not the AFL CIO, but someone that is specialized in organizing union organizing, um, will be able to help you through the next process because the next step is talking to a bigger group of people, mm-hmm. not like your full, you know, shift leaders or anything like that, but people who are outside of like your safe bubble and mm-hmm. bringing those conversations in is going to have to be a bigger job than just you. So I can't take on changing the hearts and minds of 30 people. I'm going to need like five other people who I trust and mm-hmm. who also support this movement. And then mm-hmm. we each kind of take our own groups of people and talk to them. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and it grows mm-hmm. and it'll grow and yeah. I mean, there's power in numbers. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a lot of fear. There's going to be a lot of concern. Mm-hmm. There's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of, I can't lose this job. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of pressure and intimidation from the bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be, the covert threats of if you do this, you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of law protecting around that. Absolutely. But that at that point, again, I go back to the find, find an organization, whether that's the AFL, if that is, um, you know, out here we have Northwest seasonal workers. We also have UNITE and we have Unite Oregon. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of, social justice organizations who partner with labor unions um, and can help provide resources, even if it's not directly a national union rep, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But you will want someone who has not only the the pockets, the money to help you get through that, but has the skilled experience and expertise of how to navigate the myriad of tactics that will Mm -hmm. be coming at you from an employer and also people who are so into it, but are so scared Scared. about what happens next. Mm -hmm. So as a labor leader, you have to be able to kind of see that bigger picture across all the different sectors of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a skill that I'm still learning and I've been doing this for six years I still have to kind of like defer to my mentors and bring in, you know, the, the grassroots organizers out here to say, I've, I don't know what to do. I've kind of reached this, this crossroads mm-hmm. help me. So, um, but first and foremost is know that you're not alone and feeling like you want a radical change. Mm-hmm. You're not alone and thinking that you should be paid a living wage and that you should be protected and that you should go home safe every day to your friends and your family and your loved ones. That mm-hmm. is not an impossible ask. In fact, that should be the norm. And the fact that it isn't makes me get up and fight every single day because no one should be scared for their life at their job, whether mm-hmm. that's COVID related mm-hmm. or uh, a ladder 
or shoes or gloves or chemicals or any of that, we should have those things. Um, and if you're not getting those things, there are people who are more than happy to fight for your fucking right to party. Wonderful. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. Like and, and with a little Beastie Boys tag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sager, you, you also mentioned uh, in your bio that you are the chair of the Southern Oregon Central Labor Chapter under the Oregon AFL-CIO, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, does that all kind of wrap around together or how did you go from IATSE to being the chair or did that is that something yeah. that came with being the president of IATSE or is that something that you're like nah bitch like I'm gonna come through and like <laughs> you know like knock yeah. down these walls and barriers like nah 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 like yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're dealing with oh yeah 100% <laughs> what happened yeah mm-hmm. okay. so as as president of IATSE 154 I was the automatic delegate to the Southern Oregon Central Labor Chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the state of Oregon, we have different regions. We have the Northwest, we have East, we have Southwest, Southeast, Central, all of that. Um, and there's just a, a kind of like a district of the AFL-CIO and we have regional reps and and they help us organize actions and you know any union stuff we have to do, political stuff that we are a part of, any of that. So um, my international union is a part of the National AFL Federation. Um, Mm. All that means is that I have a seat at the table um, on the AFL-CIO chapter of of the Southern Oregon part, right? right? Um, So I served on that for a little bit. And then the chair, uh, the former chair, he retired and I thought it would be... No, that's a lie. He hadn't retired yet. Okay. So what happened is that the former vice chair decided not to run again. So I ran for vice chair, won that seat, Mm -hmm. served as vice chair for like a month or two. And then the chair at the time, he decided he wanted to retire. So like, I just got bumped up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got voted in, but that's the direction Mm -hmm. it went. So I've been the chair since... Officially, I think November of 19. Oh, wow. Okay. I believe. It could have been October of 19. I can't really remember. Got it. Um, but yeah, so that just means that I am the chair of a, of a chapter of unions represented in the southern part of the state. So it's not just IOTSE entertainment unions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's delegates from the nurses association, the firefighters, the school employees, the classified school employees, the state, county, and municipal employees, um, the electrical workers, the transit workers, uh, the list goes on steel workers, the machinists. So it's Mm -hmm. all the unions in the Southern part of the state uh, that's our that's our our room our space that we all sit or we we sit and discuss what's happening in our locals what's happening in our cities and our towns um, and then we help each other uh, however we can whether that's just resources or people or calling our reps when you know an injustice has happened and and activating our membership on behalf of other people so. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I do on on the on that side of things. So the case in point is exactly what we're talking about. 
is, uh, and we also have community partners. So we have the Northwest Seasonal Workers and um, Unite and Unite, um, Jobs with Justice out here. So we work with them and if any of them had an issue, they could come and talk with us and we could help provide resources or people, any of that. So that's how this all kind of mixes in with my world and it's and con, it, it runs alongside of my president at IATSE mm-hmm. seat, but um, I, I opted to take on this workload and I couldn't have made a better decision, honestly. Yeah, I was about to say, it sounds like a lot of work, but honestly, it, it's a lot of important work. Um, I, I love it. <laughs> and I have some really amazing people that I work with and who support me and guide me because I'm only 33 and I don't know really what I'm doing. So I have some amazing chairs. Uh, uh, Edgar, we're going to take members. out that Sager said that she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. <laughs> take that out. <laughs> I feel like uh, I tangented so went on a tangent well, for so hard. It, I completely distracted us it's, from it's the okay. No worries. Um <laughs> not even. So actually, right before you came on so we can chat, uh, you messaged me saying that you were at a town hall with Senator Merkley and you had a mm-hmm. you said I do I'll send you information after I do this town hall with Senator Merkley. Uh what is that? What does that mean? And what were you doing? What happened? Yeah. So um, Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley is probably one of my favorite people who represents my existence and the state Mm. of Oregon. As Jeff Merkley is on the right side of the conversation. He is pro-worker, union or not. He is, he's pro-entertainment industry. That's what we were on the phone with him about. Oh, wonderful. He also understands, like, uh, immigration rights, reproduction rights, human rights, LGBTQ, Black lives, brown lives, all, like, he he is on the right side of the conversation, in my opinion, and he's incredibly accessible as well. Um, I couldn't, I could say so many things about his political platform that even if you're not like a progressive weirdo such as me, I feel like most, most people fall in line with what Jeff Merkley is fighting for. Um, Mm -hmm. I like his campaign literally could be, don't be a dick. And like, that's (laughs) his platform. Like Uh he's great. He would probably not, he would not endorse that whatsoever, but that's just kind of how I feel about him. He's like, (laughs) yeah, he's, he's solid people. But, um, so IATSE local 28, which is our state chain union in Portland, Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, work very closely with the, the higher ups in the Oregon, uh, Senate and house. Um, they're also right next to Salem. So they have a much more access than, than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the business agent, Rosetta Vinatucci, she has been working on so many labor councils and, um, has worked with Jeff Merkley for, for quite some time and just point blank asked for him uh, to be a part of our town hall. So it was IATSE, it was SAG-AFTRA, it was Actors' Equity Association, mm. uh, AGMA, uh, SDC, and I'm probably forgetting someone else, but there was, it was the, entertain- oh, AFM, the American Federation of Musicians. 
Hmm. Um, it was it was basically all the entertainment unions that we have across the state of Oregon. And we got on a Zoom chat and Senator Merkley gave us like 45 or 50 minutes of his undivided attention. We submitted questions ahead of time. That was about the next um, stimulus package, that bill that's being passed right now and the work he's doing on that, the work he's supporting and pushing and how that will um, impact gig and, and uh, entertainment workers, yeah. 1099s, W2s and all that. So yeah, he uh, just asked, uh, you know, we submitted questions and talked about like what he was working on, how that could better improve the lives of gig workers and entertainment workers. Um, we also talked about what the current unemployment status is in the state mm -hmm. of Oregon, mm -hmm. what work he was doing around that, including for uh, for most entertainment workers, we might not be going back to work within the year and yeah. is unemployment going to be extended? So it was a, it was a lot of big picture yeah, those questions. Those are some good questions. Cause yeah. Yeah. And it was all, I was all, all crafts on, um, on the union side of course people that we represent, um, in the state. So it was, it was impressive. And, um, that type of time with a, a Senator who is, like I said, on the, in the right side of the conversation, um, it, it's it means so much to us like plebeians as constituents <laughs> to know that like he heard us he engaged in a really honest and genuine conversation does that mean we're going to get what we want absolutely not does that mean that i said my piece and i know that i have someone in my corner pushing for me to do this absolutely so mm -hmm. it was that's cool it was, a, it was a really great experience that's good that's really good really good thanks yeah um any... What else were we supposed to talk about? <laughs> this was, this was, that was it. Um, but also I will be bringing on Molly to the show, not the drug. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Molly, uh, Avi's uh, wife. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. I never got a chance to nerd out with her. She works for the department of labor. Yes. Yes, she does. So we're actually, one of the other episodes is going to be with Molly. Um, mm -hmm. Talking about you know labor force and whatnot because she mm -hmm. she's a, a a labor lawyer, so mm -hmm. we'll have she's some a, great information uh, for y'all too, yo. <laughs> so yay! I might have back? to creep on that Zoom and just listen to her. She is amazing. Actually, I was going to ask if you wanted to. Yeah, I um, do one hundred percent. Okay, and and I also thought like it'd be kind of nice to have both of you have a your own episode, like the two of you. <gasps> Mm -hmm. I would love to. <laughs> Good. I think it'd be a really, really uh, wonderful, insightful conversation with um, some really good information for for people. Uh, I'd be happy to bring in some of my AF, <laughs> one of my one of my AFL reps. Wait, wait. I, <laughs> I did not mean to say <laughs> for poor people. I meant to say for people. <laughs> <laughs> for poor people. It would <laughs> it would be some amazing conversation for people. Um, there you go. Just for four, just just for four, just for four. Yeah, only four, <laughs> only four of you. But you were saying that you can bring in. I could ask the the regional rep here. Her name's Misha Hernandez, and she's mm. rad AF. She used to work for um, SEIU out in Miami. She was a field rep. Um, Question: Does she she's speak amazing. Spanish? I could ask because I think what would be really nice is to have someone on the show. Um, 
speak about these same issues in Spanish, uh, just, mm -hmm. you know, so we can have that. This will also be available um, on a transcript in Spanish on our website, um, as, as well as English. Huh? That's so good. I, I love the work that you're doing. This is so, so, so amazing and powerful. And thank you. And making this, this type of hard conversation accessible. And this is, I applaud the work that y'all are doing. Good job, Edgar. You're kicking ass. <laughs> See you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. No, th those are really, so, those are really nice words. Don't look at, look at me. I'm blushing. <laughs> no, but thank you. Thank you. Um, we will also have this available. Uh, I mean, our transcripts are available for people who are uh, hard of hearing or deaf, um, you know, for accessibility, because I love my deaf friends, right? And I want them to be able to um, interact as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, applaud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, but it's like, I want them to also be able to engage in this, in this, um, these conversations, right? Um, but also we'll be translating them into Spanish just so we can keep continuing with, with the accessibility of this information. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that the work that you are doing is absolutely uh, phenomenal. It is incredibly needed. It is very important. Um, I know it takes a lot, but I knew if, if I would, if I had to choose a rep, like to, you know, to represent me, um, without a doubt, I'd be like Sager. Right? <laughs> Thank you. But but it's because, well, here's the thing also, um, y'all, like Sager's not just the type of person that, you know, is like, boom, 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 like, let's go, let's push this forward. Um, I'm here to fuck your shit up. It, it's all about justice, right? And then on top of that, it's not even just in the workforce. Like she's like that as a person, that's just her entire being. Um, even like, uh, you know, like with friendships, if something goes down, she is there. She is one of those people that just goes like, talk about an ally. Like Aww. the the definition of an ally, like you and Annie Paul, like and Morgan, Lindsay, when I think allies, it's just like, these are the people that I think almost immediately. Um, and so I just want to thank you, especially in this time period right now where everything is kind of blowing up and revealing what has already been there. Um, and I'm, I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like racial structures, um, systems of oppression, all which have been created, uh, to, you know, oppress us like, uh, people of color, people with different sexualities, uh, people from the margins, right. People who are mm -hmm. marginalized people. Um, and so there's this huge notion of like, we were gaslit or attempted to be gaslit for a long time saying racism is not, it's not a thing. You're not being discriminated against. You're not this blah, 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 blah. That was like a thousand, a hundred years ago. They always say a hundred. Um, mm -hmm. Cause it's like, Oh, 1920. What happened in 1920? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's like um, to have these people and to know that there's people like yourself, Morgan Lindsay, Annie Paul, uh, just to name a few, um, Sarah Lozoff, like out there doing the work and not just within their field, but in their day-to-day -day life, in the way that they maneuver throughout the world, in the way that you walk through the world, in the way that you interact with everybody um, outside of work, and that you're continuing and continuing, continuing the fight. It is absolutely, y'all take notes. All, all y'all allies listening to this, take some notes. Um, I'm sick and tired of uh, performative allies. Like that shit is a day of the past. Like that's in the past. Leave your performative allyness on the side. Leave it 
It's not about words anymore. It's about your fucking action. So if you're not doing the work, if you are not doing, I mean, I'm not saying to go be a union rep, right? I'm not saying to go become a labor a lawyer, like, you know, like these amazing people here that we have, you're probably amazing too. But like, think about what is it that you can do? How can you help? How can you uh, take action? And to repeat and reiterate, words are meaningless right now to me. My opinion, um, of course, I would absolutely love some words of affirmation. You can totally love on me, whatever. But hearing I support you rather than showing I support you are two different things. And in this day and time, that shit does not fly right now. And it's not going to anymore because the way and the direction that we are headed and all of this has just had been uncovered is incredibly, I mean, a lot of words, right? It's infuriating, it's terrifying, anxiety inducing. Um, people don't feel safe, myself included. Uh, you know, like I, uh, I'm very intersectional with a bunch of different things, right. That are in the margin. Um, and so y'all, if you claim to be an ally, do the work, do the thing and show up. Um, and so all that to say Sager is that I absolutely love you and I love the work that you're doing. And I think it's imp extremely important. And I'm so glad that you came on our uh, podcast today and you were able to enlighten us and give us a lot of useful information. Um, I hope that listeners are able to take this and um, hopefully also learned a lot. And we're going to also include links to the resources that you mentioned. Um, so please check on our website in the margin theater.org. Um, and you will find under our podcast tab, the Bi biographies or bios and pictures of everyone that we've have brought onto the show or to the podcast. Sager is one of them. Click on her and you will see all those resources. Um, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at in the margin theater. Um, please make sure to follow us on Facebook at in the margin theater. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today, but I also do want to leave on a very positive note. So Sager, what are some things that are bringing you joy right now? Especially, you know, there's, bring, there's this, yeah, bring, what's bringing you joy? What brings you joy? Me, oh my God. Um, it, well, I would be remiss if I did not um, thank you for your kind words, your strong words, your leadership, and constantly reminding me as a white ally to show the fuck up and do the work because no one else can. For really being honest, I have the privilege and the access into the spaces because I'm white and I'm female and they think I'm nice. Um, and, and your sexuality is not viewed, right? That's not something that people see per se, unless you're like walking around with your, your girlfriend or something, you, which you don't have right. but at the moment. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my single's dad. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'm in, uh, I have the privilege to enter in spaces that not many people can or safe to mm -hmm. do so. So if I'm not going to show up and fight for my friends, my colleagues, my family, my loved ones, who else is? Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, that isn't, that's not the call to action to everyone sign up and become a labor leader. Like that's not everyone's <laughs> bucket, but there are many articles and resources that's like 
75 things a white ally can do and whether that is divesting from a um, Wells Fargo who is known for completely racist acts, including crimes and injustices on indigenous people, mm-hmm. taking your money out of Wells Fargo and putting your money into a bank that's owned by a person of color. That might seem like a really small move, but that's something that's really going to, like, those smaller things matter. Calling mm, your reps. Absolutely. Emailing your reps. Being up everyone's ass that you possibly can to stand up and fight back for those who cannot stand up and fight back. That's our job. And it's in my brain, it is the very least I can do to make sure that you, my housemate, everyone that I interact with in the world is goes home in one piece. Because again, at the end of the day, most of us have jobs. Most of us have an income and we have to like continue living that life, which means we have to be safe and we have to be comfortable. And we have to be respected. We don't get that overnight. So we mm-hmm. have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the day that we don't have to fight for that will be a whole new world. Um, and we're not there yet. We are a long, long, long way from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from that type of uh, equity Um so but we the, do it, but, thank but those, you. <laughs> yeah, of course. But those those little small um, changes, like you mentioned, like you don't. We reiterate, you don't have to go out there and become a a, a labor leader of, of some kind, right? But if that's what you want to do, by all means, we need them. So please, yeah, do it. But, I'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> but but um, like, you know, like the small literally... things, like the small things, like you know, going away from Wells Fargo, like Sager mentioned, mm-hmm. those little things that might feel that just like Sager said, that feel like they're not um, worth it or it's just like, well, what the fuck does this do or change? Um, imagine the ripple effects, but also imagine that if, you know, a lot of people did that one thing, you don't know who else is doing that one thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that I can, can have a huge impact. You, I can send you this link that's literally 75 things white people can do for racial justice. Like right. that Wells Fargo example was pulled from this article because I was like, I need to take my money out of this racist <laughs> institution. So then um, we're going to include that too. And you're, you're, <laughs> we're just going to have a bunch of resources like yeah. boom, 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 boom. Um, okay. So back to things that make me joy. Yeah. Or else we're going to. And then we'll wrap up. I got to, you know. We yeah, kept you on the phone for so long. Hey, um, no, if it was up to me, we, I'd keep you here for four four hours if I wanted to, and even more. Oh, I'd be oh. like, oh, um, I mean, the I don't. That, yeah, things that yeah, bring the things me that are bringing joy. joy. Yeah. Um, doing the work that is needed right now, continuing to learn about my own um, biases and. Um, the work or even around uh, uh, sexual orientation and identity that I'm not that familiar with and learning about that. Oh, um, hit me up, girl. I have a one of my computations <laughs> is sexuality. Like, let's, let's do talk, it. Let's talk, you know, <laughs> because in order to represent people and the workers' rights movement, I need to be able to have conversations and relate to all the people, not mm-hmm. just the 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 gays and the straights like you know like there's there's so much more than you could add to that if you want but like to doing to continuing to doing that work including my my own work in race and class as well um 
So that work is bringing me joy because I'm fueled by so much rage right now that's happening and the injustices across the country and in the world. So to learn more about that is helping me find uh, creative ways to contribute to a better solution or donate to the people who are already doing that work. Um, now that's like, that's like the A plus teacher's pet answer, right? Yeah. So the like <laughs> real kid answer, the one who's like, you know, not trying to be up your ass, the real answers in addition to that is also like, I just really enjoy walking a dog. Like, <laughs> I, like See, I, I, was also, ex- I was expecting you to say like something about like, ooh, Cajun magic or something like, so I can microaggress <laughs> you right now. No, <laughs> I mean, one of my friends is a like swamp voodoo goddess. So, you know, she reads my cards sometimes, you know, I'm, uh, I will do a lot of walks, um, and I make a lot of food and that's bringing me joy. Um, and then reconnecting with, you know, all of the friends that I've fallen out of touch with, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and ones that have been in my life, such as you for, for the, the past several years. Um, but, Listeners, you can't see me, but I'm smiling like, you know, like uh, ear to ear. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it, it's hard to find purpose. Some days I'm not going to lie. It's hard to feel like being on unemployment and navigating a pandemic life is enough, especially with people in our industry. Like we do, do, do. We, we fix, fix, fix. We create, mm-hmm, we create, mm-hmm. we create. And when you can't do that, we're often met with this huge overwhelming feeling of depression and just wondering like, what how am I contributing to the world and what kind of worthless I should lay here um giving myself permission to sit in that feeling is mm-hmm, new mm-hmm. um so there is some joy in that but I I know for me my own mental health I I have to only do that for a limited amount of time and then find find an avenue to bring me out of that um in order to continue showing up for the people and myself in the ways that I know we need to be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you also mentioned uh, mental health, which we will also have an episode on. Um, mm-hmm. with, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have a, an episode with a drama therapist um, and then also with uh, a counselor as well to talk about mental health and then also provide some resources for all y'all. Um, we know and recognize that this is a very tough time. Um, and I just hope that people are finding a way to navigate and cope um, and just know that you're not alone. A lot of us are dealing with this as well, but that's, that does not take away um, or invalidate your feelings and what you're feeling, right? Um, but just know that there are people there for you. There are people who um, also understand and that are here to listen um, if that's what you need. Uh, but take, take, uh, be kind to yourself. Just be kind to yourself. Um, well, I, I wanted to end on a on a light note. <laughs> I think we did. Reminding but, but... <laughs> people. That's a, that's a kind note. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Sager, again, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, I absolutely love you. I adore you. Te adoro. Oh, my God. Like, oof, vieras. Vieras, vieras. My mom loves you, too. <laughs> my mom loves I love you. I your mom. I love you so much. <laughs> She's always oh. like, oh my God, yes, the gorgeous one. <laughs> well, she oh, and then she calls okay. Amber uh the beautiful one. <laughs> but um <laughs> and then you know Sager, like la linda, la linda. Um <laughs> I but, love her so much. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, again, everybody, um, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, uh, visit our website, www.inthemargintheater.org. Now, theater is with an R-E, not E-R. Um, and then <laughs> feel free to explore, uh, and you will see a lot of the bios um, from the people that have been on this podcast um, and the people who will be on this podcast as well um, with a lot of resources available. Um, a huge one being Sager's. There's going to be a lot of resources available uh, with Sager. And you'll also be able to see her handle, so you can go uh, and follow her um, because she's amazing. So go do it now. Uh, Sager, where can they find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find me at IATSE Local 154. I currently run both of those pages and I'm a direct contact to that. Um, if you're cool enough, you can you know find me personally and uh, we can be friends. But um, <laughs> the, the more exciting stuff is on the IATSE Local 154 Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And any of those emails will go directly to me or one of the executive board members who are happy to help you. Um, and then you can also follow the AFL-CIO as well mm -hmm. on Facebook and Instagram. And I believe they also have a Twitter. And you can find one for your state as well if you're interested in supporting workers across your state, whether they're in your industry or not, or union or mm -hmm. not. So... That is, that is my plug. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, it's a good plug. <laughs> Thank you all so much, and we'll catch you next time.